Welcome to a brand new series of podcasts from Clear, this time focusing solely on River Cruise holidays. Now, River Cruises has certainly seen huge growth in the past 10 or so years, driven by huge innovation in the sector, but also a growing awareness amongst holidaymakers about the benefits of taking a River Cruise holiday. So in each episode, we will be having a key interview. We'll be talking about some key trends in the sector, and we'll also be having a destination focus as well. And that's because destination is certainly key to the choices that holidaymakers make. So our big interview this time is with Amma Waterways president and co-founder Rudy Schreiner. He'll be joining me. We're also chatting to uh, two experts about some of the trends within the sector, and they are Giles Hawke, the CEO at Cosmos Tours and Cruises and Avalon Waterways UK, and also Jane Archer, a leading UK cruise journalist and all-round river cruise expert. And finally, for our destination focus this time, we'll be focusing on Budapest. And for that, we chat to travel professional and Budapest resident Petra. So Jane and Giles are two experts for this month's River Cruise podcast. So thank you very much for joining our, our new podcast. Uh, and new is a good way to come into some of the things that are happening in 2021. So Jane, if I can start with you, what what kind of new ships and uh, new onboard features are we looking forward to in 2021 and beyond? Well, the amazing thing is actually, we, now we're coming into 2021. Can you believe that there were something like 21 river ships that should have launched last year and and true some of them sort of did get finished and start yeah. you know sort of actually floating a little bit uh, but they never really launched they never carried passengers so we've got all of those ones coming in we've got several um, that are being refurbished and renamed and starting operations for a couple of new companies that are coming in plus we've got a, about i don't know half a dozen or so new ships that really should have been coming in in 2021. So it's going to be, once we can all get going again, it's going to be just an incredible year for river cruising. Uh, and I would say the, the big trend is that, that things are moving more and more upmarket. I mean, every time we see a new ship coming in and, and they have more restaurants on or they have alternative restaurants on and things go more upmarket and the more is included and so on and so on, you think, gosh, it can't go anymore, but actually, it really is going more. And so, you know, lines that are starting to include a little bit more than they used to, they may be offering alternative uh, excursions where previously they might have only offered one. Um, and, and so the whole, the whole experience is just becoming much more rounded and, and as I say, more upmarket, more luxurious. Although, to be honest, I really don't like that term very much because it, it doesn't really mean anything. Um, but 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 it's getting better and better. How you know? I think that's the way to say it. One one of the things that we noticed uh, in 2018 2019 was a lot of cruise lines were talking about their ships being created based on the rivers that they were going to sail on. So is that is that a definite trend we saw in the last couple of years, Jane? And is that likely to continue? Yeah, I think so. Um, more and more of them are doing that. And sometimes it's it's in the decor and in the cuisine um, offering. Sometimes it's just in, in actually, you know, the food offering, what's in this restaurants. And obviously, 
you know, if you're in France, um, there's much more of an emphasis, for instance, on wine and wine tasting and wine specialists being on board. So, yeah, very much so matching, matching the river ship to the destination. And I mean, it is it is a great way for people to really feel much more part of the countries that they are visiting. I mean, you do already on a river cruise. That's one of the great things about being on a river cruise. But but it is an even more of a connection, which I think is is, is a great step forward. Charles, does, does that kind of uh, personalization, if you like, or creating that slightly different experience, something that, for example, Avalon also uh, joins up with? Yeah, I think that what we'll see as people return to traveling is, I think river cruises are really well positioned in the sense that we are always close to land. It's a pretty, um, uh, it's a much smaller environment um, an intimate environment people get on off the ship regularly um, and I think the the link between where you are and the ship itself I think will it's really important to people and I think it will become ever more important and I think there's probably during the the last year of sort of lockdowns and you know enforced sort of stay at home I think people generally the the, the sense seems to be that people are more into authenticity they're expecting things to be more real and more um, and have that more personal experience. And, and I think as River Cruise Lines, one of the nice things, you know, that you've got to look for some of the upsides in what's happened in the last year is we've all been able to take stock of what we do, what we've done and how we might do things better and differently in the future. And it does allow you, you know, when you're full on full flow, working on operational operation all the time, delivering, delivering it's hard to take that time to sort of sit back and reflect. And I think a lot of river cruise lines will have taken that time to say, okay, well, what's going to be a little bit different? How are we going to enhance uh, the offering when, when we do restart? Um, Jane was talking a little bit about the onboard experience in terms of dining, et cetera. But one of the things certainly Avalon is a good example of, but, but is uh, replicated by a number of different river cruise operators has been that focus on wellness. So do we expect that to continue in 21 or even be enhanced in 2021? I think we'll see wellness grow as a, as a theme and a focus of River Cruise Lines. I think wellness and sustainability, and at one level they go together, another level they're, they're, they're quite different things. But, you know, things like having adventure hosts on board, things like a bigger fleet of bikes, um, excursions that are maybe more active, um, having things on board where you might have um, yoga, stretching classes, those sorts of things. I think that will grow and grow and grow along with a focus on food, not just the quality of food, but the provenance of food as well. Making sure that it's, um, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of the British word, organic food, I think will start to be feature more heavily local food. So things like food miles will start to become a bigger concern for people in the future. So. I think it's it's a combination of wellness, looking after people, looking after their health and their mental health, and um, sort of the doing the right thing in terms of food miles or, or as I say, um, sustainability more generally. Um, Jane, I should ask this question of you because uh, you you are an expert in the entire industry, but we we saw um, a number of different ship designs coming out. So the Amma Magna is probably one that springs to mind. Um, that doesn't, are we going to still see most river ships with the same design and the same shape and size, or do you think there is, there is scope for, for different designs? Well, there's not a huge amount of scope for different designs, simply because uh, of, the, of the way that the, the, the rivers 
are, so to speak. Uh, I mean, the, the vessels have to get through locks. Locks are a certain size. Uh, they do differ in size on some rivers, like on the Danube, they are bigger. Hence, you can have the bigger ships such as Amma Magna. But on the smaller rivers, on, on, the, on the mine, on the mine Danube Canal, they are, they are a certain width, so you, you are stuck with that width. You are stuck with a height because they have to get under bridges. Um, so there, there isn't a huge amount really that you can do. Uh, you can't even necessarily make them longer, and I don't think you'd particularly want to make them longer because they would start to look very much out of proportion. Uh, because if they're too long, again, they won't fit in the lock. So they, they just physically won't fit in. So there isn't a huge amount that you can do. So it, what's, what's done is, is being done on board, if you like. So it's, it's the actual experience on board, the, the way that they are uh, shaped inside in terms of the, uh, the facilities that are available, the rooms that are available for the passengers. Uh, I mean, I suppose that, um, sort of going aside from that, you have seen some changes in that, particularly in Europe, which was unusual, we have seen more the advent uh, of paddle wheels and that's been one way to sort of get around having a slightly different looking vessel, but still being able to fit in the waterways of Europe. Um, but as I say, overall, I think the changes are, are what's inside rather than what we see from the outside. I should add, by the way, Giles, I wasn't insinuating that you weren't an expert in all the whole river cruise industry, by the way, I asked that question. I think I'll defer, I'll defer to Jane on, on the expertise. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, staying with you, Giles, though, in terms of destinations for 2021, are there any you're most excited about? Are there any where you've seen an increase in capacity? Um, in terms of destinations, I, I, I guess I'm just excited about having some destinations open for people to travel to. And I think, you know, the second half of this year, once we get to June, I expect to see things return and return with a with a real big um, level of demand. Um, we're already seeing our sort of global demand for the second half of this year ramping up and actually early 2022 um, bookings are way, way ahead th than where they've ever been actually in our history. Um, we know that the Christmas market cruises are booking extraordinarily well. They normally book about a year ahead and the demand is, is outstripping supply. Um, I think, yeah, to me, it's just, we just want to be sailing again and the, the demand will be everywhere we sail. I think, you know, what may take a little longer might be some of the more exotic destinations to come back to. We, we, we envisage Europe will be the, the sort of first sort of um, calling point, um, but the exotics don't generally run till later in the year, but we, we're looking forward to getting um, uh, the Mekong back. We're looking forward to, sailing on the Nile which we had programmed for this year um, back to the Amazon back to the Ganges and, and I think those destinations might take a little bit longer but you know we're just excited that, with the fact that we're hopefully going to sail well before the second half of this year and have, take guests on amazing holidays. Yeah I think we're all excited about sailing again. Um, Jane in terms of destinations um, Giles mentioned the Nile which is one that we've seen growing over the past couple of years are there any others that you're excited about? Um, that I think is definitely one of them. India we've spoken about before, uh, and that, that has really, really been a very, very exciting destination. And it is a, it's a wonderful place to cruise. I mean, it, it 
just delivers so much and, and so very, very different to anything anybody who's cru cruised in Europe would have, uh, would have experienced. And indeed, even if they've been on the Mekong, again, it is a very different experience. But I agree with Giles. I think that those are going to be slower coming back just because of the, the length of the flight. And I suspect that is going to put some people off um, going on those cruises. So, so coming back to Europe, I think one of the, one of the big things at the moment seems to be, um, well, the Danube always is, but particularly the lower Danube. And there seems to be more and more interest in the lower Danube and, and actually being able to explore all of those places that way. So you're talking about Bulgaria and Serbia and Romania. Uh, and it is such a very easy way to see these places and some fantastic places that you are seeing en route and that you can add on to it. So you can, for instance, add on going to, going to Dracula's castle in Romania before you do or at the end of a cruise that's, that's ending in Bucharest, for instance. Um, you go to Belgrade, which is a, it was a really fabulous, buzzy city, you know, these days. And basically the history and, and the culture and everything around those places is, is so worth seeing. And it seems to be that it has captured a lot of people's imagination. I've noticed there's been more and more itineraries there. In fact, I think Giles, you have more itineraries there coming up this year as well, visiting a lot of places that, or even or even new places. So, you know, you've, you've got the, the standard ones that people go to, which is Belgrade, but more and more of, for instance, going to Novi Sad and more and more of them are going to more and more unusual places along that river because there is so much to discover. And as I say, people are, ha people are really sort of buying into that as far as I can tell. And for those who have not sailed it, the, the Lower Danube is a very different experience to the rest of the Danube, which is very capital city heavy. It's a very different landscape and environment, is it, Jane? It's, well, it's, funny enough, it is, it's still, you still get your capital cities because as I say, you get Bucharest, uh, you get Belgrade, uh, and normally you would start in Budapest. So if you, you know, if you've either got an overnight there or you arrive early, you will get Budapest as well. So basically anywhere beginning with a B, you get <laughs> if you do the lower Danube. Um, but yes, the, the landscapes are different. The, the feel of it is very different. There are long stretches between places, much more so than on the, uh, on the upper Danube, you know, you've got one little village after another little village after another little village. It's not the same as that uh, on the on the lower Danube because places are a lot further apart. You've got the Iron Gates Gorge, um, which is very narrow at one point. It actually does open out quite a bit um, for most of it. Um, but and it's a lot of trees. If you like trees, it's great. Yeah. Um, but the landscapes are that the landscapes are interesting because You've got you've got sort of the Carpathian Mountains and you know sort of all around and about you, um, and and as I say, just really unusual places that you can go to and which which people don't know really anything about. I mean, Belo Gradchik, where you can go and walk around, you know, climb on these huge huge um, stones, which are you know, if you use your imagination, are supposed to depict this, that, or the other. It's always very actually difficult to work out. The guides tell you that this oh. That's a rabbit. It's like, mm, well, it's not necessarily the rabbit that we know <laughs> as a rabbit. But but as I say, you, you get these these very different uh, very different experiences to to the ones that you get on the Upper Danube, which people are very familiar with. 
just very quickly because I'm conscious of time, but um, we saw rapid growth in on some of the French rivers over the last sort of four or five years. We also saw similar growth on the Douro. Are they going to continue to be as popular in 21 as they were a couple of years ago? Uh, if you're asking me, yes, I think so, absolutely. Uh, I mean, we're seeing more and more tonnage going over to France, um, and that is an indication that, yes, the demand is there. France, France is always wonderful. I mean, you've, you've got so much there. You've got the food, you've got the wine, you've got the landscapes. Uh, it's a fantastic destination. And, and the Douro, absolutely, that is a real favourite with the British. And again, we've seen more and more tonnage going there. Um, just it, it's, a, it's a very gentle kind of cruise. Um, it, it's very different, to my mind anyway, to the rest of Europe. Um, but it delivers a lot. Um, Porto at the one end and Salamanca at the other, just fantastic. And the, and the bit in between the scenery is just absolutely glorious. I mean, what more could you want? And the excursions part of those destinations, Giles, are continue to be a mix of walking tours and cycling, but other options as well. Because I know, again, uh, Avalon offers a lot of activities in different destinations. Yeah, I think the generally excursions are leaning towards more active and I mean, we, we have our active and discovery cruises and I think the discovery element is growing as well, that people don't just want to see, they want to do. So whether it be going to a painting class or going to a vineyard and, and actually getting involved in the vendage or you know, going to a farm and seeing the cows being milked and how the milk's made and or um, you know, maybe going to a, in, in Normandy, going to a cider producing place and actually seeing the cider being produced and taste, tasting the end product. So I think the sort of being involved and doing is, is becoming more and more important as opposed to being a spectator on the sidelines. Well, you, you've certainly made me want to river cruise as soon as possible, but um, <laughs> we look forward to seeing you on board a cruise ship at some point very, very soon. But Giles, Jane, thank you very much for joining. Thank you, Andy. Petra, thank you so much for joining us. Um, you are a resident of uh, one of our favourite river cruise destination cities, which is Budapest. So is there lots of river cruise in Budapest? Hi, Andy. Yes, it can be up to 15 ships on the Danube at once in a season. But thanks to the well-spread out piers, it never really feels too overcrowded. And ships are usually moored between Chain Bridge and Liberty Bridge. So the ships will literally be in the heart of the city. So that is a great advantage. Yeah. And are they there literally from, from all summer season? Yeah. So pretty much spring to autumn. So we have a quite nice spring in, in Hungary. So it's, it's a good time to visit when uh, you don't want to walk around in 30 plus degrees and the same for autumn. But obviously summer is, is the highlight of cruising into Budapest. Yeah. And it's and so and if I'm right, it obviously doesn't affect river cruising, but it gets very cold in the winter, right? <laughs> yes, we we have about minus twenty sometimes. Wow. Uh, and in the summer it can go up to thirty five. So it is very very different from, from the yeah. UK. It's not quite so mild. You have you have all the seasons, which is nice. Um, so for those who don't know Budapest, tell us a little bit about the city. So Budapest has a history of over a thousand years, but it wasn't until 1878 that Budapest as a capital city was born from the merge of three cities, which is Buda, Pest and Obuda. 
So since then, it's the capital of, of Hungary with over 2 million locals. Yeah. And in terms of visitors, we had over 4.5 million in 2019. So over to double the population. Wow. That's a lot. That's a lot of visitors. Yes. <laughs> yes. It, thankfully, it's, it doesn't get too crowded. So we have quite wide spaces, lots of squares, avenues. So it won't feel too crowded when you visit. Cool. And what are the key places to visit? Because uh, it's quite a big city, isn't it, to explore? Yes, it is quite big, but the historic sites are all quite close together. So we have three sites that are so there's UNESCO World Heritage Sites. All of them you can visit just by walking from, from where the ships are moored. So the Castle District is one of them, with the Matthias Church and the Fisherman's Bastion which is this fairy tale like towers that you can see in most river ship brochures. So you'll surely recognize that it's also the best photo spot from Budapest. So make sure you visit that one. The view of the Danube is also amazing. So if you go across, and I do encourage you to go across to the Buddha side, then you can either walk up the hill if you feel like you're up for it, or you can take a bus or a taxi or the vernacular up to the hill and take some amazing pictures from up there. And the third UNESCO World Heritage Site we have is Andrashi Avenue that links our basilica, which is St. Stephen's Basilica, with the Hero Square. It's a really nice walk down. You will see lots of high-end shops and there's also the Opera House on that avenue. And as it leads into the Hero Square, there's a city park. It's just a really nice Really nice day out, but this is pretty much the farthest away you'll have to walk. Everything else, including the Parliament and the Chambridge, or even the Great Market Hall, are a short walk away from where your ships will be docked. Okay, excellent. And you, you talked a lot about walking, although there are other options available as well. But, but the attractions aren't too far apart by the sounds of it. So walkable in a day? Yes, yes, definitely walkable in a day. I think one of the great things about Budapest as a river destination is that if you only have one day in the city you can still see most of the attractions just by walking around so I would encourage those who only have one day to cross Chambridge, take a taxi up or the funicular up to the castle and then wander down from there either towards the Great Market Hall and the Vata Street where you can do some shopping or to see the parliament in the opposite direction all of this can be done within a day but I think it's also great that most ships either start or finish their cruise in Budapest so for those customers who have more time and you know they can extend with a couple of days they can stay longer and go to either one of the famous thermal baths that we have or see some museums so it's not it's not just a one-day destination but you have both options depending on the client you you um you mentioned the views and things like that but at night the river seems to come alive is that true lots of lights and things to see at night time yeah i'd say um that is uh one of the highlights of budapest uh as as most ships will stay either overnight or there's something called an illumination cruise they do which right. is for this specific reason that the lights are just spectacular so if you come to budapest you have to see them parliament looks amazing and and the castle so uh, it's one of the highlights i would say 
Excellent. Good, good. The other, the other highlight of a holiday for me is the food. So for those people who want to try some traditional Hungarian food, what, what is there? And, and is there plenty of it uh, as you walk around the city? Yeah, so first of all, expect spicy food. That is, is good to know. Most, most our dishes will have paprika as their main ingredient. Right. So it is a little bit spicy. Probably the most well-known is the goulash, which is somewhere between a stew and a soup. That is definitely a, a must-try. In the winter season, so if you come to see the Christmas markets, for example, you will see lots of chimney cake around. Lots of what, sorry? Chimney cake. What's that? So it's this pastry that is either with cinnamon or some nuts around it. It's probably the most Hungarian dessert. It goes very well with mulled wine, so I highly Lovely. recommend it. But yeah, we, we also have langos, which is also this deep fried flatbread. You can find it in the Christmas markets as well. It has sour cream and cheese and garlic on it. It sounds a bit weird, but it's really good, I promise. So if you feel adventurous. <laughs> go for it and all of these can be found around the center of, of the city so you will see lots of restaurants for in goulash in particular Yum. and everything else it's it's safe to just try one from a food truck or any of the markets out there well and if you're walking all day then you need to reward yourself with some food so they all sound delicious yeah definitely <laughs> Um, so my final question, you obviously love uh, Budapest. So what do you love about it? What is it about the city that you really enjoy? View is one of them. So I highly recommend going either up Galliot Hill to the Citadel or the castle. And the other thing is that there's always something going on. So we have festival for everything. Lots of music festivals. I would encourage people to, to visit either the vine festival, the beer. We have one for Palinka, which is our very own um, shot, rather strong, so just uh, be careful with it. <laughs> but we also have a festival for chocolate and sweets. So whenever you come to Budapest, make sure you look up what's going on because there will be something to attend and make your, make your cruise a bit special and a bit different from the others. I love the sound of a festival for chocolate and sweets. That's got my name written all over it. I shall definitely come back and visit then. Uh, Petra, thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much. Uh, it's always a pleasure to chat to Rudy. Thank you so much for your time and joining us on our first podcast. Um, for those who don't know you, and there can't be many in the travel trade who don't know you, but for those who don't know you, how did you start in the river cruise business? Um, prior to uh, river cruising, I had uh, two companies, and that was uh, student travel to Europe. The first one was STI, Student Travel International, uh, which I sold my interest in 1990, and I started a second company that was Amadeus International Tours. So the Amadeus already, the name Amma came already up there. And it was again student travel, but as you know, 1990 with the Gulf War and so on, things went really quickly down the drain. So after two years in 92, I shut it down. And actually, I was hired by Serba Illich. At that time, it was Love Holidays, which later on was changed to Uniworld. Ah. Yeah, and that was motor coach tours to uh, Yugoslavia. So uh, when he hired me, he hired me also to start up uh, all different kinds of new products. 
And uh, actually, I was reading an article about the opening of the Main Danube Canal in September 1992. So one of the six or seven new products I started was river cruising, also going through the uh, with, uh, with just putting passengers on, on a Dutch ship. And it was the old Blue Danube, which actually was the first hotel-style ship. Oh, really? Now, uh, river cruising existed for a long time, yeah. You had, uh, prior to the Main Danube Canal, you had in Austria DDSG. Yeah, DDSG stands for Donau Dampfschifffahrtsgesellschaft. Wow. <laughs> Danube Steamship Company. <laughs> And you had in Germany KD for Köln Düsseldorf, Cologne Düsseldorf. So uh, US tour operators uh, like Globus or Trafalgar, they came to Europe and they also maybe had a day or two days on on, on a on a boat going up the Rhine or going to Danube. So you you always had some kind of short distance cruising, but with the opening of the Main Danube Canal, suddenly there was a network of about 3,000 miles of interconnecting cruising available, yeah. uh, which covers about 15 countries. So uh, it started, and uh, you had a couple of other smaller operators already in Holland, yeah. But uh, we started a Unigo that was one of our products. We also did icebreakers from Murmansk up to the North Pole. We did uh, Hurtegruten at that time, uh, Norwegian coastal cruises. Yeah. But the river cruising took off and, and uh, Universe slowly developed into a river cruise line away from a motor coach company. So I was at Universe from 1992 till 2000. In 2000, I left Universe and I opened the US office of Viking River Cruises. Yeah, Viking started in Europe in 97. Um, at Universe, I was chartering ships from Viking. And uh, then eventually, I mean, they asked me if I'm interested in opening the office. So I left Univolt and uh, moved uh, about a mile up the street, two miles <laughs> open Viking. I was two years at Viking from 2000 till 2002. And in 2002, I left Viking and started uh, Amadeus Waterways, later than Ama Waterways. So we have been now 18 years in business. Um, we started up uh, initially uh, leasing uh, a ship. My first ship I was leasing from was from uh, Dr. Lüftner. And it was the Amadeus Symphony for Amadeus Waterways. Oh, yeah. wow. <laughs> and actually, uh, I, I named Lüftner's first ship the Amadeus uh, when I was leasing, chartering the ship for Universe. So Lüftner and I, we together built actually the first wow. ship. For, for, yeah. So I, I have a long friendship with him too. And so now we uh, have about, I think, 24 ships. It's always hard because there's ships under construction. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we have 24 ships, uh, 20, 20 of them, I think, we own. Yeah. And uh, two of them, we are 50% owners and Portugal we lease and in uh, Africa we lease the ship. So three of the ships we're leasing. And how was it starting your own river cruise business? Because that's quite a jump for somebody. How was it starting? Everybody thinks when you start a cruise line or something like that, you have to have either rich parents yeah. or some <laughs> Russian investors behind you or something. Yeah. <laughs> but actually, uh, what happened is uh, I started together with Christine Karst and Jimmy Murphy. Jimmy Murphy uh, 
was uh, we retired at time at that time from Brandon Tours. And what we did is we leased the ship from Lüftner, the Amadeo Symphony. He built the ship for us. We leased it for four years, extended it for another year. Uh, then we leased. Uh, uh, actually, within a year, Globus wanted to buy us. Yeah, and I didn't want to sell. We went to Lugano, Jimmy, Gary, and I, and had a meeting with the Globus people. And uh, then uh, Jimmy and uh, Gary went back home. And I stayed in Lugano and hammered out a deal with uh, Marco Rizzi from Globus, where they would start Avalon. They hired me for two years to be their consultant. And for the first couple of years, we had a co-chair agreement between right. Avalon and us. So I was helping them also on the lease of their ships, the artistry and the poetry. They sold our product, we sold their product, we exchanged shares. So we had 30% ownership in Avalon, they had 30% ownership in, in Ama Waterways. And then after a couple of years, uh, Globus realized this is big. Yeah. And they wanted to get out of it. <laughs> so eventually, uh, then uh, kind of Jimmy wanted to stay long and hook up with him. And I wanted, I actually wanted to get out of the deal. So we hammered out a deal where they got out, they bought themselves out. And that allowed us for the, a down payment for our first ship, ah, which okay. we owned, the Amadagio. So really, I mean, the investment, I cannot even tell you how little it was. It, it, I would be ashamed to tell you how little the investment of starting <laughs> the cruise line was. <laughs> but but you must have you must have seen something in river cruising then that made you think that this was a long-term prospect. I have been at that time uh, already when I joined Uniworld when we started, I've been 10, 10 years in the travel industry, yeah, having my own company. And uh, one thing I noticed at Uniworld when we started was... Uh, we chartered uh, the Blue Danube for cruises uh, from Amsterdam to Budapest. I put actually the first cruise together, Amsterdam-Budapest. No idea how it is going up river, down river, how much time it needs and so on. But after we, after uh, after the end of the season, we realized this is, I mean, the people were fascinated by the product. Fascinated, yeah? And, and wherever, if you, with whomever you go, if, you, if it's Viking, Avalon, Universal, yeah, if you, you will love the cruise. You will love the river cruising. You only will know the difference once you uh, uh, cruise on the different lines, but everyone has a good product, yeah? So it is, it is, what makes it so nice is, first of all, I think the key point is you get double the leisure time traveling through Europe than any other means of traveling, yeah? Because you don't have to sit on a on a bus, you don't have to go through rush hour traffic, you don't have to pack and unpack and, and fight the traffic into a city. You just sit on a top deck, yeah. You cruise into Amsterdam, you step off the bar, and you go into the next place yeah. <laughs> in town, yeah. So you really get on a daily basis double as much leisure time as you would get any other means. Of transportation yeah and you don't have to worry if you don't want to get up in the morning you just stay in bed yeah <laughs> <laughs> it makes it easy and uh and you, you the scenery is fantastic if you if you drive around today in europe by by motor coach yeah you have soundproof walls along the freeways you don't see you see less and less and less so here you're sitting on the top deck enjoy the weather the climate see the small villages it is it is a fantastic way to to uh, to spend your vacation and that's yeah. what 
you know, I have friends who, who have known for a long time that are on the river cruise line. They never thought much about it. And then one day they go, yeah, and then they say, wow, this is fantastic. <laughs> I mean, this is unbelievable. I have no idea. <laughs> And it yeah. is. It's a, it's a it's a fantastic holiday. Did you did right. you did you know in those days that it was going to be as big as it is today, or or, or is it much bigger than you thought it was? Or uh, I mean, is it one thing when we started, uh, Christine and I and Jimmy? Yeah, it was really just Christine and me in the office. Yeah. yeah. So we only we didn't have any employees. It was Christine and me. Yeah, I did I did brochures. I did <laughs> I did kind of the marketing. She did the sales. Uh, we did the invoicing and so on for the first uh, year, and and then the second year we got a little addition. And then Brandon Tours would do our back office accounting and airline tickets and so on. So her her, her idea is uh, that eventually we'll have two ships. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. But. Um, um, my idea was always, okay. uh, I mean, I I cannot tell you what will happen in five years from now. Right. I really cannot. Yeah, I, I go I go step by step. Yeah, yeah. I, I always enjoy uh, new products, new rivers, new uh, new ideas. What we can do, and one thing about us, I mean, Christine and I, we have been together for twenty years now. Yeah, we basically live, breathe, and uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so we, we constantly have what can what else can we do? What's new? What, what, what where can we go? What can we improve? And so, on. and that sense of innovation uh, must feed your passion because I know you get very involved in the design of the ships. Now, is that is that something you love doing? I mean, it's uh, my background. I studied archi- uh, studied architecture in Austria. Yeah. Uh, and I, I got an MBA in the U.S., so I'm business and architecture. I always like design and so on. Uh, when we built our first ship, the Armadagio, yeah, I actually had a, uh, a certain design in, uh, in, in mind. My first ship, actually, I was involved was a River Queen from Uniworld, yeah, which I built together with Kurt Kampoisen. That was the first ship I ordered and... And then there were four more ships built for Uniworld River, Princess, Duchess, Empress, Countess, where I had still some involvement. Uh, but then when we built our first ship, yeah, I was actually cruising on all different kinds of ships in Europe to see uh, which concept is the best. Yeah. And, and uh, whereas the, the, uh, the, the difference was the uh, Lufthansa ships and the Uniworld ships initially had the main restaurant in the aft on the top. Right. Yeah, and you had uh, staterooms on the middle deck, the whole middle deck, also on the front, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, but but uh, actually Skiller, the Skiller people had the concept where the public areas are in the front and the staterooms are in the aft. Yeah, and eventually I said, this is really the better concept, yeah having all the public areas in the front and so on. So this is also when I when I switched my thought about uh, the way to go, but I'm, I'm physically doing the cabin layout on a millimeter, yeah? yeah. And, and uh, so we are right now working on more dining options in the future. So already our new ships, Amalucia and uh, Amasiena, they, they they will have certain features which we will not market right now, but they will be there. Yeah. 
So, like, they are, they are my, you saw the Magna. Yeah, yeah the, the Magna, Magna's beautiful. Congratulations. Yeah, and that was always a dream of mine, and it was a five-year uh, concept of building the chip. Yeah, and I just absolutely enjoyed the whole design part, the construction side, and so on, and being on the chip is magnificent. And it and the Magna is such a change to the normal ship design on Rhine Danube, for example. But so so was there a big risk? Were you worried that people would like it, or did you know that people would love it? Um, this goes back uh, to the old times of DDSG in Austria. <laughs> um, you might know that uh, DDSG in nineteen eighty seven built the Mozart. Yeah. Um, when I was at Uniworld, we actually sold, uh, then DDSG was sold to Peter Dahlman later from the Austrian government. And uh, when, when uh, at Uniworld, I was cruising with, actually with Peter Dahlman on a ship from Passau to Budapest. Yeah, he was playing piano, drinking champagne. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we, we actually sold uh, the Dahlman cruises at Uniworld. Yeah. And so I really did enjoy the Mozart. And the thing is, uh, the Mozart is, uh, uh, is at that time was was really kind of a, a it offered a lot of uh, uh, public areas and so on and and my thought was always doing something like that but even in a in a much grander way. I actually had about eight nine years ago uh, discussions even with a German company DER. You probably know DER. Yeah, too. absolutely. Uh, of, of potentially building a grand ship like that together, and we charted 50 50, 50 us, 50 them. Um, so, yes, the concept was always here, and, and uh, in the end, it was uh, much more complicated than I thought, really? yeah, especially because the ship, the hull was built in Serbia, and the finishing work was done in the Netherlands. So when the hull was done, we had to bring the hull down to the Black Sea, wow. ship it around through the Bosporus, the Greek islands, all the way around Portugal, Spain, all the way to the Netherlands, <laughs> finish it there, and then ship it all the way, <laughs> all the way back. Yeah, because the Dutch didn't want to come to Austria and, right. <laughs> and finish it in Austria. So we had to move the ship we had to up. move the ship to them. So, but it, it, it was a long project and it was, it was, I mean, a beautiful idea of working. To, it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful ship. And I love the, the choice of restaurants you have on board and all of those public spaces. I think it's a, a great ship and I wish you big success with it. Um, we're going to uh, just look ahead very briefly. I'm conscious of time, but in terms of what's next, what are you most excited about either for this year or next year or the next couple of years? I mean, this year really is, again, just getting through the season somehow, yeah, because it's still unclear when the season will start, how long it will go and so on, yeah. Uh, 22 looks fantastic. There is a huge pent-up demand. We have never seen such a strong uh, demand as we see now for 22. The, 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 the future for river cruising is very bright, yeah. I think uh, the, the more and more people see the small cruise environment with 150, 200 people uh, and, and uh, being close to shore, being in, in the cities uh, and so on. So the future is really bright. Yeah, I see I see beautiful, beautiful future. Uh, Europe is the prime area for river cruising. 
but you have you have quite a few other destinations also. Um, things are, I think, maybe getting again better in, in Myanmar. And we are maybe coming back again there. It's a beautiful destination. We were there for a long time. Uh, we are right now building uh, the Amadalia for Egypt, where we start in September of this year with our first cruises. Uh, there are there are lots of, of great itineraries. Yeah, the Mekong will come back again. I mean, Vietnam is completely shut down. They, uh, so we'll see how, how long they will be shut down. But it, these are beautiful itineraries, yeah. So it's always looking at where else can we go. And, and uh, believe it or not, I have some things in mind, some new rivers, which I cannot really talk about. Yeah, Of course you do. You always do. No, I, I cannot. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I was planning to go and inspect it last year in April right. already. And then uh, the COVID situation started. And then we, we had planned again this January to go. Uh, and again, it was delayed. Yeah, it was not. It wasn't possible. So, so yeah. But there are there are there are a couple of other rivers which are, could be of uh, nice interest in the future. So Which people open? will. There will be a home. Uh, lots of people out there who want to see new things. Yeah. So there will be demand for new itineraries. How excited are you? Just quickly, how excited are you about the Nile? Because we've seen the Nile coming back over a few years now, but that's that's going to be another big surge for the Nile, presumably. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I, we have done the Nile for about five years before the uh, revolution. Yeah, and we were actually, Christine and I were in Egypt uh, Christmas of 2010. In January 11 was the revolution. We were in, in Egypt to order a ship for us. Yeah, two weeks before. Wow. Fortunately, I mean, it wasn't. It was that close because otherwise we would have ordered the ship. Yeah. So, uh, the Nile is 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 absolutely a very. In, it has a lot to offer. One thing about river cruising: there are lots of rivers, but there are very few rivers where you have uh, every every yeah. mile something to see. Yeah, and that's that's the Mekong, that's the Nile, that's the Danube, the Rhine. Yeah. I can go from uh, from Buenos Aires by ship to Bolivia, to La Paz, physically with a large ship. If I leave Buenos Aires by ship, it takes about 1,700 kilometers before I get into the next town. <laughs> <laughs> Not great for river cruising. <laughs> <laughs> yeah listen it's it i could i could talk to you for hours and hours but we really appreciate your time we wish you all the best for 2021 thank you very much rudy andy thank you so much good seeing you again all the best to you you too we hope you enjoy our first podcast and we hope to see you again soon <laughs>